You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It's Thursday, November 16th. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn. And you are riding home with me. Today is the final soccer practice of the season. So, I'm looking forward to a little bit of a break. Getting home, but or getting home every day, but uh, basketball season is upon us. I'm actually missing basketball practice tonight to go to soccer practice. I was going to start the show at the Circle K here uh, on my work exit because the tire pressure tire pressure monitoring system light had come onto my car this morning and it was still on when I turned it on but now it's off so I think it's not my uh, El Cheapo tires I think it's the El Cheapo car and I think the tire pressure monitoring system is failing of course I could be wrong and I could die fiery flaming spin out death on the way home. So if this is the last Christian commute and you hear ah that's what happened. Of course I imagine if that happened you wouldn't get the episode because I would die in the car with my phone. I don't think my widow would say, "Hey, uh I got to upload this episode." You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell her. I'm going to say, "Laura, One of my dying wishes is for you to find my phone and upload my last episode if I die in the car. So my listeners know what happened to me. So uh, I hope I remember to tell her that. I have a full show for you today. Today's show title is While You Were Sleeping. While You Were Sleeping. I have a question in the inbox about... Arminian theology, not Armenian theology, an Armenian is somebody from Turkey, or not all people from Turkey are, are, are Armenians. An Armenian is someone from Armenia. How about that? It's an ethnic group around the Middle East there. That's what Armenians are. Armenians are people who adhere to the theology, or I should really say the soteriology, of Jacob Arminius and the Remonstrants. So I have a question in the inbox about Arminianism. And as always, we have the Bible chapter review. We continue in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 38. Jesus' time is drawing near. He's moved on to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we all know what happens to him there. So let's, uh, let's move on to the Bible chapter review. Then Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. So in the greater narrative here, Jesus knows that he is about to get arrested and crucified. 
throughout the book, we've seen the birth of Jesus. We've seen the ministry of Jesus. And now things are coming to a head in Jerusalem. So his nerves are understandably bothering him because even though he's known this whole time that he's going to die on the cross, that he's going to be an atoning sacrifice for the people, well, now it's time. In the subsequent verses, he's about to be arrested. The bad guys, if you will, are about to come get him and carry him away. So that stress of his impending crucifixion is on him, and he set out to pray because of it. And what he does here is he tells his disciples, here, wait here while I'm going to pray. And then he takes the, quote, the inner circle, if you will, Peter and the sons of Zebedee. And he brings them with him. He says, keep watch with me while I pray. Now, we're going to cover in subsequent Bible chapter reviews, Lord willing, Friday and then Tuesday, what he's praying about, what happens we will one day eventually get to John, and I think it's John chapter 17, where we get the high priestly prayer of Jesus, what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus, what Jesus is praying about in the garden, because it's really expounded upon in John. But that, that'll be, that could be a year or more before we get there. We're focusing on Matthew. He took the people closest to him and asked them to keep watch while he prayed. And he let them know that he was grieved. Deeply grieved to the point of death. It's about as grieved as you can be. He's letting them know the time is coming and I'm feeling bad about it. And with that we will end the Bible chapter review. And let's move on to the inbox. This is, I believe, the last question that I have in the inbox. It is from April in Trussville, Alabama. The last time that I stayed in a hotel, I was in Trussville, Alabama. My friend uh, John at work gave me his Alabama tickets for the Alabama MTSU game. Those are good games to take your kids to. Because you can get cheap tickets, or in my case, free tickets. And the kids don't know that it's not a meaningful game. They just know they're going to watch football in the big stadium. Alabama's going to kill MTSU. It's not like going to see Tennessee or LSU. or like, oh, they're playing their equals. They could lose. You know, this is not just going to be some blowout. So my friend gave me those tickets. And uh, we went to Tuscaloosa. And I wasn't planning on renting a hotel room but we got sleepy on the way back and we just couldn't go any further and we were we got a Hampton Inn in Trussville Alabama and every time I go watch Alabama I come back through Trussville so there you go April there's my history with Trussville and I am sure Trussville is full of Baptist churches in fact I know it has Baptist churches because I looked on the phone when I had to stay there this is April's question. Theologically, is the Arminian view right or wrong? And she adds, you may have covered this before. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. But let's, let's cover it. It's wrong. 
Alright, now moving on. No, I'm just kidding. It is wrong. So, let's define things. Because people have ideas of what they think Armenianism is. And they'll even mispronounce it Armenianism. I think it's a, the fault of the spell check. The, the spell check on Samsung and Microsoft and I guess Apple, it, it's, it's not really a theological spell check. There's a lot of times when I'll type in a theology word and the spell check will be like, that's not a word. I'm like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. So when you type in Armenian, people probably think you're trying to refer to Armenians, but no, it's not it's Arminianism. So in 1618, it's a long time ago, but this was, this was after the Reformation had started. In 1618, the Dutch Reformed Church hosted a synod called the Synod of Dort. And the synod was called together because there was a soteriological controversy. Soteriology is a $3 seminary word for the doctrine of salvation. From the Greek soter, meaning to save, and ology, the science word for the study of things, like biology, soteriology, phrenology. Phrenology is not a real science. All right. So that's, that's the root. Soter. Soteriology. And then I've said this a million times. I never can remember if it's Greek or, or Latin. But what a terrible educated person. I'm supposed to be educated. I never can remember. But soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. And there was a soteriological controversy among the churches. And you have to understand this could only happen after the Reformation. Because before there would have been no debate. It would have been whatever the Roman Catholic Church said. You better do what the magisterium says. And then Martin Luther read the Bible and he says this is not right. What the Catholics are teaching, the Bible says something different. We are justified by faith, by faith, or not by works. We're saved by grace. It's it's through faith, not works. I read Romans, said Martin Luther. Started the Protestant Reformation. So now people in churches are thinking on their own and reading the Bible for themselves which is a good thing, but there's a downside to that, is now people are going to read the Bible for themselves and they're going to come up with wrong conclusions. Before, they were just unquestionably listening to their priest. Now, the priest happened to be wrong, but there was not a big diversity of opinion. Now you got the printing press getting invented. you got Bibles getting printed. you got people arguing and talking about things. You have multiple churches whereas you just had one so the people are saying oh no let's have a synod and let's talk about this controversial issue on soteriology and the synod of Dort lasted a long time it lasted into 1619 and they came up with what are called the canons of Dort the canons of Dort which are now associated by name with John Calvin so Calvinism is the soteriological doctrine that comes with a convenient flower acrostic called tulip. By the way, they didn't come up with tulip at the Synod of Dort. People just used it later. Total depravity. Man cannot come to God on his own because he has a sin nature and is so sinful he would never want to come to God. He's totally depraved. Unconditional election. 
God does not elect you to salvation on account of something that you were going to do. God does not look out in the future and see you doing good deeds and say, well, I'm going to save that guy. Nope. There's no conditions to your election. Nothing you have to do or you're going to do. God just selects you. It's his prerogative. Limited atonement. This is one of the very controversial ones argued about till this day. But people pretty much in my uh, in my religion, I'll say, in my denomination, in Baptist world, people pretty much agree on unconditional election and uh, total depravity. Even if some people believe in corporate election versus in individual election, the unconditional election part is about it's nothing, nothing you contribute. That's what the focus is there. It's not necessarily just God picking you and predestining you. It's that you don't contribute anything. It's not because you were good. It wasn't any good condition you did. So those are, T and U are fairly uncontroversial. L gets to be controversial because talking about limited atonement. Because you got all these revivalist preachers, Jesus died for you, put it on a bumper sticker. But limited atonement is the idea that Christ's atoning death was only efficient for the elect. Those who had been unconditionally elected. So the people who die and go to hell... Jesus' blood didn't pay for their sins. And the idea is, like, well, since Jesus' blood didn't pay for their sins, they never could have got saved. Irresistible grace. That's another one of the five points of Calvinism that are pulled from the canons of Dort. Irresistible grace is the idea that God elected you, and it was his sovereign will, and you couldn't say no if you wanted to. It was sort of like the Godfather. He made an offer you couldn't refuse. If God wants you to be saved, you're going to be saved. His grace is irresistible. You can't say, no thanks God, I don't want to be saved. And some people, uh, you're thinking like, people do that every day. I tell them the gospel and they reject it. That's not really what it means. It means if God's elected to save somebody, they're not going to say no, the Holy Spirit's going to work on them and save them. And finally, perseverance of the saints. And this is the focus, y'all. When we talk about somebody today and somebody on the internet says, he's Armenian, they really mean, they're really talking about perseverance of the saints. Or sometimes people say, he, are you Calvinist or Armenian? And like, well, Armenianism is not really the opposite of Calvinism because you can not be a Calvinist but still believe in the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints, let's get to the doctrine, is the idea that we call it once saved, always saved. You'll never lose your salvation. And whose idea was it for you to get saved? It was God's idea. He picked you. So God then changes mind on it. It's not like you're going to tick him off and he's going to say you're not saved anymore. Because remember, it doesn't have anything to do with what you did or you're going to do. You're unconditionally elected. So God has unconditionally elected you to salvation. Therefore, you can't lose your salvation. Jesus said, no, nobody's going to pluck him out of my hand who the Father put him in my hand. So, nobody can pluck you out of your Savior's hand. What is that? No scheme of hell? Uh, no fear of man could ever pluck me from his hand? I think that's the no scheme of hell. No, 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 it's no power of hell. No scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand. That's the In Christ Alone song. That's what it's talking about. Uh, you can't be plucked from God's hand. So 
The only person who could pluck you from God's hand is God, and he's not going to do it. Because he's the one who put you there and uh, elected you there in the first place. So that's perseverance of the saints. Now getting back to the little point I made. Sometimes somebody will say, are you a Calvinist? And somebody will say, no. And Well, you're an Armenian then. Like, no. Just because somebody isn't a Calvinist doesn't mean they're not an Arminian. Okay? So, I think Arminian's little flower, doc, flower acrostic is rose. I can't remember it. I didn't memorize it because I think Arminianism is garbage. Uh, but the idea of Arminianism is since you can pick to be saved, and here we have the Wesleyan idea of our, uh, prevenient grace comes into play. The Holy Spirit comes and works on you because you're totally depraved, right? And the Holy Spirit comes and works on you because it's not Pelagianism. And it's like, Holy Spirit says, all right, you want to get saved? And now, since the Holy Spirit's worked on you, you're able to overcome your total depravity and make a choice for yourself. Either, yes, I want to get saved, or no, I don't want to get saved. And I'm using, by the way, I'm using modern day, like 1990s, 2000s, Southern Baptist language. Get saved! They, people didn't talk like that back then. Become a Christian. Convert. I say get saved. You guys know what I mean. Well, I want, okay. Provenient Grace says I want to get saved. And then since you chose to get saved, and since the atonement is universal for everybody, it's universal atonement, you choose to get saved. In some cases they believe, they being the people who believe that you choose to get saved, your condition is, your, your election is conditional and the condition is you choosing to get saved, you can choose not to be saved anymore. In other ways, you can walk away from your faith. You can say, I know I accepted you, Jesus, but I don't accept you anymore. I apostatize. I'm walking away from the faith. All right. That is a $3 Christian commute explanation of Arminianism. Now listen to me, okay? The big thing about Arminianism is that you can lose your salvation. There are people out there, especially in Baptist world, who believe you absolutely chose to get saved, that grace was resistible, but once you got saved, boy, O-S-A-S, once saved, always saved. That is what separates the free will Baptists from the rest of us Baptists. Okay? Free will, why do you call them free will Baptists? Because they think you have the free will to get saved, and now you got the free will to not be saved anymore. They're more Wesleyan Baptists, okay? So you might call them sometimes uh, general Baptists. But th listen, there are general Baptists who believe in once saved, always saved. Uh, it can be kind of a mess. But if you're going to ask me, April, is, Ar is the Armenian view right or wrong, let me just focus on perseverance of the saints and say it's wrong. And we, we can do this with a, with a good bit of logic. Okay? If salvation is permanent, if salvation is permanent, then Arminianism is theologically wrong. If salvation is permanent, Arminianism is theologically wrong. All right? And even Arminians will agree with you on that point of logic. That statement's true, that conditional statement. No one will argue on that. 
So then you make that A. Now let's go to B. The uh, salvation is permanent and cannot be lost. That's where the Arminians will disagree. So April, what do you believe? Do you believe that you can lose your salvation? And the reason I'm asking you this is because I think a lot of people don't want to say that other professed believing Christians who are our brothers in Christ are wrong. We don't want to say you guys are wrong and you're teaching something dangerous. We want to say let's let bygones be bygones. But if April, if you can't lose your salvation, then those people are wrong and they're teaching something wrong and very dangerous. The idea that you can lose your salvation. Now, now here's the thing. There's different kinds of Wesleyans and Arminians. Because once an idea gets out there, people are going to run ten different ways with that, with that idea. The holiness movement has arisen from the Wesleyan movement, okay? If I may, those are the really bad Wesleyans. So the Wesleyans who think, like, yes, I I chose to get saved. That's, I, think, I think that's just what the Bible means. That's what they say. Like, I, that's been my experience. Yes, I was totally depraved, but Jesus died on the cross for me, and that made it possible for me to get saved. He sent the Holy Spirit through preventing a grace, and that made it possible for me to get saved. And then I heard the gospel, and I, my eyes were open. And yes, I repented of my sins and got saved. And yes, I, I'm still a sinner, and I repent of my sins, and my salvation is not in jeopardy just because I sin. But if I were to harden my heart so hard and choose to walk away, I could. But I don't think I will, and I'm not going to. All right, That's one end. The other end is the holiness movement, which is the idea that when you start sinning, all of a sudden you're not saved anymore, so now you have to go get saved and rebaptized. So this is you have these people getting saved over and over, and they keep living a profligate lifestyle. That's the holiness movement. That's where modern Pentecostalism comes from. With all the that's where that comes from. Alright, and that's bad. And I, like I said before, a lot of people just say Arminianism now to refer either A, to people who aren't Calvinists, and there are plenty of people who aren't Calvinists who believe you can't lose your salvation. So you really shouldn't refer to those people as Arminians. Because to be an Arminian is to believe that you can lose your salvation. And again, why do we call it Arminianism? Because Jacob Arminius and the Remonstrants disagreed with the Synod of Dort and said, no, nah, that's how it is. It's different. Synod of Dort is wrong. You can lose your salvation. So, Arminians believe you can lose your salvation. If somebody doesn't believe that you can lose your salvation, that person can't be an Arminian. Okay? It's not just the opposite 
of Calvinists. The best way to use Arminianism is to describe people who believe the whole thing of Arminianism that you can choose and you can unchoose. And it comes down to things a lot of people don't think about like conditional or unconditional election, resistible grace, free will choice, whatever, whatever. The whole system is wrong. The Bible is very clear that God has elected His people from the foundation of the world. That we are a chosen race. He's chosen us. And that's where corporate election comes in. The Arminian will come say, no, that's corporate election. He's chosen a people, but you make an individual decision to be a part of the people. I believe the Bible is quite clear that you can't lose your salvation. And once you realize that your salvation was not up to you, that it was up to God, and He's the one who chose you for salvation, the idea of losing your salvation just seems sort of silly. The strongest verse that the Arminians have in their toolkit is when they go to Hebrews and say that the people having tasted the heavenly gift once they reject it can never be or once they fall away can never again be renewed to repentance which by the way doesn't work for the holiness people because they're supposedly renewed to repentance over and over and what the non-arminians say is that verse is referring to people who were never truly saved and they under pressure or persecution leave the faith that they nominally proclaim that's one argument at least I mean I could do all I could do a whole week of shows on Hebrews and that verse of Hebrews but I'm not going to So, theologically, April, just getting back to your question, yes, it's wrong. You should reject it flat out. And I want to say this. People who believe in Arminian soteriology should not be accepted as members of your church. Now, you can leave it up to God, because it's up to Him anyway, to decide whether that person, whether or not that person is a Christian and they're going to go to heaven or hell. Listen, there's, there's people in your church who are non-Arminians and it's still up to God whether they go to heaven or hell. You don't know. But if someone professes Ar- Armenian soteriology, Armenian soteriology, they need to be excised from your church body. Well, first of all, corrected. But if they won't be corrected, they need to be put out. And someone will say, hold on, this person says Jesus is his Savior. This person says he's repented of his sins. This person says that he's saved uh, by grace through faith alone. He's not preaching a different gospel. No. No, he's not. But what does he believe about people who are covenant members of your church? Number one, that they're not permanent, that they can lose their salvation. Number two, that they can be talked into it somehow. How's that going to affect the evangelism programs of your church? There's a lot of things that are wrong in this world and you can just sort of let people be wrong. 
I'll give you an example. Uh, we got we have uh, new Sunday school literature at church. It's Answers in Genesis literature, and we're going through Genesis right now. And the Ken Ham literature is going to say Young Earth, six literal days of creation, not seven. People say the Earth was created in seven days. No, it wasn't, because all the creation work was done on the first six days. The seventh day, God rested. So six days. Young Earth, and then somebody will come along and say, no, uh, Gap Theory, or what's the other ones? Not Gap Theory, uh, Day Age Theory. And as long as all those people believe in the historical Adam, the age of the Earth doesn't really matter. Somebody's wrong, but it's not going to make a hill of beans a difference. As long, listen, it's very important. As long as they reje- they believe in the historical Adam and re- reject evolution, Darwinistic evolution, okay, the idea that we came from apes, because that's un- I don't care how old the Earth is, that's unbiblical. The Earth could be a billion years old, and that's not how we came to be. Okay, whether it's thousands of years or billions of years old, that is not how we came to be. You cannot get that we that man was descended from a lower or different life form. From you just can't get it. You can't get it. Even if you believe that the six day of creation is part of some mytho history framework, you still can't get it from that. Because man is a special creation of God in God's image, different from the animals, period. But you have people who believe, well, I think the earth's 6,000. I think it's 10. I think it's 3. I think it's 50. I think it's a million. As long as those people believe in the historical item, fine. And you can even have people who think, well, I think the tribulation is going to be mid-rapture. No, it's going to be pre-rapture. No, it's going to be post-rapture. No, it's the millennium. It's a millennium. People are arguing about that. But that really has no effect on the day-to-day operations of the church. It just doesn't. So there are things you can be wrong about that won't have an effect. This is not one of them, April. And I know you didn't ask me this question. You just asked if it was wrong or not. It's wrong. I mean, you, you can look it up on Wikipedia and read it for yourself and know it's wrong. So, April, I don't know how you found the Christian community. If you're in an Arminian church, find one that's not Arminian. And if Arminianism is getting strong in your church, be like Captain Picard and say, the line must be drawn here this far, no further. We will not fall back. But by the way, don't go around saying this is Arminianism, this is Arminianism, unless it really is Arminianism. I mean, it has to hit all those points, not just the one. And I think the way most Baptist churches in this world survive is that they believe in once saved, always saved, and then they just choose not to argue about election. If I had my way, everybody in every Baptist church would believe in unconditional election and predestination. And you wouldn't have to worry when you said it that somebody would be like, uh-uh, no way. Because some elder would say, nope, that's how it is. It's on the website. If you don't like it, you can go to the Methodists. All right, let's move on to while you were sleeping. Here, here's the premise, okay? I want you guys to learn how to recognize 
a manipulative, unbiblical sermon that looks like it's coming from the biblical text. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into character. I'm going to shift from being Seth and I'm going to turn in to IFB Brother Seth. And you're going to have to imagine I've put on a suit. You're going to have to imagine I got some big wingback chairs behind me. And there's two associate pastors in each wingback chair there to say, Amen. Okay, you can imagine that. Or you can, I could do this for a number of different characters. I don't have to. I'm going to be IFB Seth because he's easier to do. But I could be, I could turn into non-denom Stephen Furtick Seth. And I could be in a church with a bunch of lights and a praise band. And I have a little stool with an iPad for my Bible and I'm preaching this. But what I'm trying to show you is I'm going to read a biblical text, talk about what's in the biblical text, make a sermon point, call on the congregation to do something, but in no way use faithful exegesis or hermeneutics to do it. I'm going to make the Bible suit my purposes. And I want you guys to listen to this bad sermonette so that you are therefore prepared when you go and sit in sermons and someone is doing this and using these tactics, I want you to recognize what you're, they're doing and say, ah, oh, that's not what the Bible means. That's, that's not what he's doing. So without any further delay, here is my, let me, I'm, here, here's more delay. You're going to notice when you get into these situations, especially, uh, I'd say, when you're in more of a Sandy Creek situation, that you're going to have sermons with cute little titles like this that draw people in with a cute little title, like, It's All About the Bass. I had a friend that I used to work with at Field Turf who was a Sandy Creek preacher, and I said, What are you preaching on this Sunday? He says, My sermon's all about the bass. And at that time, that song was popular. All about that bass, about that bass. That's all. That's the only words I know of the song. And he, I think he, I think his idea was that the Bible should be your base of how you live your life. Which, by the way, is good advice. Do you know that when somebody manipulates you in a sermon, they could actually be telling you a good thing to do? They're just not using the Bible to do it. So here we go. While you were sleeping, starring Sandra Bullock. Here is the uh, here is IFB Seth, and while you were sleeping, hey man, I'm so glad to see you all in church today. We well, we had a good Wednesday night potluck. Mmm, sister, sister Clotilde is so she makes pork chops better than anybody. Hey, hey man, yeah, we got good pork chops. We ain't like the Jews. We enjoy all of God's food. With Hey, man, we got freedom in Christ. Brother Billy Bob, thank you for the choir. The choir was on point today. We sing the hymns. We don't sing that devil music. Hey, man. All right. I'd like to talk to you today about what happens while you were sleeping. While you were sleeping. Mm, mm. Some of you, hey, wake up there on the front. Some of you sleeping on me right now. It's time to wake up and listen. I ain't, I ain't your school teacher. You don't sleep on me. While you were sleeping. 
turn in your King James to Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 38. Then Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And then Jesus went over a little ways from him, if you remember as the text follows. And he began to pray, pray earnestly. Because he knew his time was coming. He was going to that cross of Calvary. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done, Father. But in that moment, he was sweating blood. You ever get called into the carpet at work the boss man's come to take your job you know your time might be up and you you start sweating you ever see that field goal kicker line up when the Vols are playing they're down in Georgie by two ain't no hobnail boot gonna stop this kicker amen and they you they're sweating because you know they need to make that three points to win that game. Jesus was sweating because his time had come. He was in distress and he needed his friends. He said, I don't call ye servants, I call you friends. He needed his friends with him at the most dire time of his life. Anybody ever want to go through something alone? Since Billy Ray was over there, remember when she had the cancer? Oh, how she glorified God in the way she went. And she sat up and prayed in her bed while she was still bedridden, praying for this church. And what did we do? The deacons and the precious sisters, we came and, and we had those precious times with her. And we brought her the casseroles and we sat and prayed and we sat up with her. Wouldn't let her die alone. And Jesus, here he was about to die and he's alone and he's asked his closest friends, his disciples, to stay awake with him. Keep watch. And what'd they do while Jesus was praying for him? While Jesus was praying the high priestly prayer for these men, what'd they do? Well, the hour was late, the Bible says. Oh, it was late. It was, hey, some of you going to sleep right now, it's 11.15, but I'm telling you, it was 11.15 p.m., 1 a.m., the hour is late. And they fell asleep. And they did not keep watch with the Savior. Now, some of you out here, you can stay, you can stay uh, awake till 1 a.m. You can. If you're out downtown... Having fun with your buddy. Some of you were at the Vols game Saturday night. You didn't get in until 3. You didn't have trouble staying awake. Brother Billy Ray had to stop in Trussville at the Hampton Inn. Used up some of his held honors points that he earned uh, going to the Bible conference in Branson. I hope you all go with us this year. It was a good time. 
Some of y'all stay up watching Monday Night Football. Somehow you still get to work on time at 9 a.m. But there's a lot of you that don't get here on time on Wednesday. Some of you can't show up for the Sunday evening service. Some of you are here half the time. There's lost people walking up and down the streets. I went to the high school football game the other day. The skirts were higher than Cheech and Chong in San Francisco, if you know what I mean. Lostness. They had the soul band. You know what I'm talking about. The soul band was the visiting team. And you should have seen the way the majorettes over there were shaking and gyrating. Looking like someone from the so-called gentlemen's club, harlots. And instead of weeping at the display of pagan sexuality, well, the people on our sidelines were clapping and dancing along. Most popular show on TV is Yellowstone. 40 F-words a minute. And I'm not talking about what a friend we have in Jesus. That's what the world's going on in the world. And I ain't seen hardly any of you at Tuesday night visitation. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Mm-hmm. We can't meet the church budget. We've been trying to annex or finish the annex Sunday school area for two years. Trying to do it debt free. Can't raise the money to put in the tile ceiling. Mm. Where are we going to teach our kids the Bible without the tile ceiling? Amen. The food pantry is half empty. And Thanksgiving's coming up. We ordered a box of Bible tracts. The box is still full. Ain't nobody handing them Bible tracts out. The Bible says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Awake, go sleeper. I'm going to tell you what happened, church, while you were sleeping. While Jesus was praying for you and praying for souls to be saved, you were asleep. You were relaxing. The devil came into our town. And now there's bars lining every side of the street. We got pagans on the city council. Mm. We got LGBTQ, WXYZ on every channel and trying to get married down at the courthouse. While you were sleeping. Mm. Mm. While you were sleeping. They came after your kids at the public school. Mm, mm, oh, mm. Preach! Preach! While you were sleeping, the homosexual teachers wanted to talk about he, she, them, it, zizay, or zumbo. Yeah. Picking a pronoun while you were sleeping. And some of you, while you're sleeping, your kids are up at night watching the HBO and all the filthy garbage in your head. And they hear. While you were sleeping. Now you get up and you come to church on Sunday. But while you were sleeping. The devil was out sowing his seed at night. 
And Jesus said, Keep watch. Keep watch with me, the hours near. And oh, precious flock, is Jesus going to come back and look at you like he looked at Peter and said, Could you not even stay awake with me a little while? What a friend we have in Jesus. We sang it over and over. What a friend we have in Jesus. Do you believe that? Because if Jesus is your friend, you'd be up. You'd be waked up, church. Awake. You'd be out evangelizing. You'd be giving. You'd be telling the harlots at the high school to put the hymn line down and pick the Bible up. You'd be off for the Facebook and into the good book. Amen. Mm-hmm. But while you were sleeping, the devil was taking over your town and your family. While you were sleeping, he was giving out his message while you weren't giving out God's message of the gospel. Are you going to wake up, oh sleeper, and pray for the salvation of the precious saints with Jesus? Or are you going to continue sleepwalking through your life? Oh, while you were sleeping, and one day Jesus is going to come back at the great white throne. And you're going to be lined up for judgment. And he's going to open the book of works and the book of deeds. And you're going to hear about all the sins of the sinners. And he's going to cast them all into hell. And you're going to weep for the souls of your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers as you see them all cast into hell. And you're going to say, oh, Jesus, when did they do all that bad stuff that you read out in the book? And he's going to say, it was while you were sleeping. Mm. So wake up. Jesus is grieved and he's praying. He's praying with his hands held high, praying for you. If you'll only go and do the work of the ministry, the work of the saints. Get out and evangelize. Come in and give your money. So we don't lose this world to the devil while we're sleeping. There's a lesson here in Matthew for us. They came and took Jesus away while they were sleeping. Oh, now it's time to wake up. Wake up, old sleeper, and get out. And win the world for Christ. Brother Billy Bob, come up and play that invitation. Some of these sleepers might need to come down the altar tomorrow, altar today. Wake up! Pray to be awake. Amen! Alright. Now, do you see what I did there? Okay? I made a theme out of a popular phrase, while you were sleeping. And here in the Bible, we haven't gotten there all the way yet. The... Peter and them are going to fall asleep. Jesus is going to say, could y'all not even stay up a little while? I'm going through this turmoil and y'all are falling asleep. He's going to chastise them for it. And then they take him away and he's crucified. All right. And I talked about all these societal problems that a bunch of Christians could agree with. We don't want that stuff. And I sat there and accused this imaginary congregation of not doing enough to stem the tide 
of the moral degradation of society, which you know what, a, a lot of congregations are not doing enough, whatever that is, okay? But did that have anything to do at all with the message of the biblical text? The answer is no. It was a lot of rhetoric. It was a lot of speech given, raising your voice up and down. Hey, man. Talking about things people fear. Trying to manipulate people into getting them to do what I want them to do. Now, listen. A lot of times the preacher is trying to manipulate you into getting you to do a good thing that you should be doing. But is that any way to use the Bible? To come up with a, a clever title? Come up with a story everybody knows? Then spiritualize it and, and use it to just pretty much make up things for people to do? Well, the answer is no. So listen... When you're listening to a sermon, if he's not exegeting the text, if he's not using sound hermeneutics, did you see what I was doing? Remember what Peter said, Awake, O Sleeper? That's in another book of the Bible, somewhere totally different. It doesn't have anything to do with them falling asleep in the garden. They fell asleep in the garden because it was late at night. Peter falling asleep in the garden didn't have anything to do with us sleeping on the job as Christians. It doesn't. But anybody can make it look that way if they manipulate the Bible for their purposes. So now you, sometimes seeing the counterfeit bill helps you recognize the legitimate bill. So I've presented the counterfeit bill to you, and if that's your church experience, it's time for you to reevaluate your Sunday mornings. And with that, I will end the Christian commute. My voice is tired. I don't know how those IFB guys do it. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about Thanks being saved. Thanks for listening to the Christian commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.